And hello, friends. Welcome to this tradition unlike any... <laughs> Did somebody scream mashed potatoes? That was mashed. <laughs> Welcome in to episode number 32 of Big Drive Energy. 32 is also the lowest score I've ever shot on nine holes. Um, I am your host, Spencer Smith, here with my brother and more importantly co-host of the Big Drive Energy Pod, Mitchell Smith. Uh, I can still see he's got this shit-eating grin on his face because his clubs came in today, his new Callaway irons, and mine are still not here. So, good day for Mitchell, bad day for, for Spencer. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I heard that little 32 comment. Don't bring that weak shit in here. What's your lowest you score on nine holes? Um, 30. Oh, well, good for good <laughs> for you. Good for you. I haven't broken 30. I've tried. I've had opportunities multiple times and never quite pulled it off. And it's just nine holes, so it's whatever. But uh, yeah, my new sticks came in. They look so clean. Um, got the Mitsubishi uh graphite shafts in my irons and the way that the black finish with the the heads it, it just pops like i really pow. i haven't hit them yet pow. and pow I, don't, I haven't even hit them yet and i'm already just like creaming over how good they look like i i who knows it's just uh, an aesthetics thing for me and then i i got that old school um anybody who played played golf about 10 11 years ago or eight, nine, 10, 11 years ago there, uh, I got that old school Adillo, like lime green, um, shaft. It's not really lime green. It's kind of, I don't really know how to put it, but it just looks so sick with the, the new green Epic head, um, the green, white and black and the club just feels awesome. So I, uh, I can't wait to touch them a handful of times all season and they'll probably look virtually brand new by the end of the year. So that'll be cool. Can't wait um, to get a crisp seven rounds in. Yeah, I'm all, just all on camera for Big Drive Live. <laughs> yeah, they're basically just going to be decoration. Um, might just hang them in my garage. We'll see what happens. But yeah, it was they they look great, man. The the Callaways coming out with some cool stuff this year. So yeah, before we uh, get into this pod and go over some news and notes, we do have a special guest for you guys today, um, Cameron Dietz, one of our buddies and the current strength and conditioning coach at Utah Valley University. Their men's Division One golf program is currently ranked number seven, John Elway, lucky number, in the country. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about what a daily regimen is like for a college golfer, some exercises and stuff that you may not realize that will help your golf game. Um, not necessarily the Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, I, Cam, I've talked to him about this before, and he has he'll have some choice words for Bryson DeChambeau, so... 
Um, much like we do on almost every podcast, he'll go in on him a little bit and talk about what he's seen with his golfers and really um, boosted their game and become you know a smaller school. But being seven in the country in golf is usually a thing for like a, a big school, and he's done a great job with that team. He was recently named assistant coach of the year at his school, so um, we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, we want to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings and... Got to crack myself a Breck Brew Apple Pear Good Company Seltzer. These things, absolute fire. They are, I know it's like a, a thing we, we don't have to say it, but these are truly the best seltzers I've ever had. They're pushing truly to the curb. They're pushing all these other companies to the curb. Breck Brew has really outdone themselves. And I love that they have their own name, Good Company. I think of a lot of cool puns for that. Um, but... Breck Brew, Celty game, they're in and they're fire. So I have I, yet to touch one and I am like my mouth started watering when I heard you crack that. I know that's a that's probably not a good thing. And I'll also have to ask Cameron if uh, lifting a drink up to your mouth counts as some sort of golf exercise. I'm not sure if that if that incorporates any um, in swing movements, but uh, <laughs> I can say it's one of my favorite motions to make. <laughs> the hand to mouth is that's a good good golf move if you're having, oh, especially 100%. if you're trying to have a good time. Uh, so let's get into some news from this week. Uh, pretty crazy news from Tuesday. Uh, unfortunately, I don't want to get too much into this because. It was already covered like crazy. Uh, I There was about as much news coverage on them picking the car up out of the ditch as there was the riot at the Capitol a couple months ago. Uh, Tiger Woods, of course, crashed his car. At the time we're recording this, we don't know too much information other than that he's okay. The From the tweets that I saw, the injuries are not life-threatening, which is a good thing to hear, of course. Um, obviously golf is way in the background. Tiger Woods, of course, is known for his golf, but he's just a polarizing athlete and we really want to wish him the best and hope that, you know, I don't care if he's back for the Masters. I mean, selfishly, yes, I do, but I just want him to be okay. And I know he's just coming off the back surgery. So it looks like if we do ever get Tiger back again on a golf course, it's going to be, um, a prolonged absence at this point. Yeah, it's it's just wild to think about and um, not trying to make light of it whatsoever. But he's had issues with like cars in the past and driving. And um, Eric Hallberg tweeted, he's like, how does this guy not have his own personal driver? And why I've never thought of that, but that should be 100% going forward. Um, it's not like he can't afford it or anything. He should just have a driver. He could have avoided a lot of issues. Um having his own driver and like i said i'm not making light of it it's absolutely terrible but it's just like why why is that a bad idea and apparently uh from what people were saying he left the golf course agitated like he kind of got in his his car and kind of flew away and actually almost hit like a tv truck on his way out like he was steamed about something obviously nobody knows what that was but he was probably driving angry, not really focusing on, on what he was doing. And everybody's a, a victim of that. You know, sometimes you're driving and driving is the last thing you're thinking about. And, and so prayers up to Tiger. Hopefully he can come back. And even if he can't ever come back to golf again, which would be a travesty, um, just pray that he's he's in good health going forward. And we just wish him the, all the best. So Yeah, going back to what you said, it is honestly insane to me that a lot of these professional athletes, <coughs> Melvin Gordon, 
don't have drivers that can prevent these things from happening. Like, how silly is it? Like, I don't want to spend $30 on an Uber, but that's more money than I make in an hour, generally speaking. These guys make $10 per step they take in their in their respective sports and, and things like that, even more than that. So it is crazy to me. Like, if I was a team owner or I don't know who gives who makes the rules for teams or Tigers, like, agent, I'd be like, dude, you're not driving yourself anywhere. I'll have a guy sit in the parking lot while you play around. I'm sure somebody would be very glad to do that job and drive you anywhere you want to go. So Yeah, pay the dude a decent salary and just literally have him go everywhere with you. That that seems like, and like you said, dude, there's so many athletes, it almost seems like it's a pride thing. Like, oh, I can drive. No, I'm fine, you know. And I'm not saying that with Tiger because they said there was no uh, no substances in his body at the time of the crash. So there, I don't think he was impaired by any means, but uh, it just kind of takes take some uh, a variable out of the situation that could possibly save your life or just keep you out of harm's way. So, yeah, exactly. Um, we'll move on to last weekend's golf tournament. Our bets went over, so that's fun. We won't get into that too much. We're gonna uh, take. We fucking this... suck at golf betting. Yeah, dude. Like I, always, I feel like I do a ton of research, and it just. We're just going to start flying off the handles and giving picks of random players um, and then go from there. <laughs> and if they yeah. win, they win. If they don't, it's just random. But I'm sick of doing all this damn research on PGATour.com and trying to find out players that are supposed to play well and then they don't. And the DJ bet was lame because he was like in second place and then just had a terrible Sunday. Our boy Tony Finau finished second again. And Max Homa... The homie, um, actually funny story about Max Homa, not really funny, cool story for my personal gain, is uh, one of my friends, Kevin Fitzgerald, was actually one of Max's really good friends and caddies when he was coming up and before he got made it big on the PGA Tour, I went to school with him at UCCS and he was, uh, like I said, Max's friend, they grew up in the same city in California and he knew him really well, and he was like, watch out for this guy on tour, and this is 10, 11, no, 9, 8, 7, some, 7 years ago, let's say, so <laughs> I'm just counting down, but it was about 8 years ago, probably, I was a sophomore or junior in college when Kevin came into the program, and he was like, watch out for Max Homa, and I was like, yeah, whatever, dude, everybody's got their friends that they think are good, and now he's back in the winner's circle, um, and going yeah, back... Yeah, you probably said that about me, and now here we are. <laughs> here we are doing a podcast. <laughs> Talking about oh, how much shit. we like to drink how on the, the golf course. How the turntables. <laughs> oh, how the turntables. Now we just like to drink on the golf course and be semi-pros. <laughs> Basically. But uh, Max took home the trophy and kind of cool thing, connecting it to Tiger Woods, which is not as great now, you know, that he's in the light that he's in currently. But he did had a, had a tweet that as a kid growing up, he'd always go to the Genesis Invitational and he tried for seven years to get a high five from Tiger Woods and now he's standing at the end of the at the golf tournament receiving a trophy from Tiger Woods. So really cool story like that. Um, that's what what makes golf so awesome is like guys like that who grow up like idolizing Tiger Woods, and uh, all of a sudden they're getting a trophy from him. Oh yeah, it's it's wild, and I think that's another thing that uh, it gets mentioned quite a bit. But I'll just say it again: uh, guys like Max Homa and there's so many you could go down the list, but 
the P, all these PGA Tour players were directly inspired by Tiger Woods. Like so many of these guys are doing this for a living because of him. So his impact has gone so much further than the golf course. He's touched so many people's lives and a lot of different ways, like a lot of different ways. Um, some good, some not good, but a lot of good. Um, he's done a lot of really good stuff in his community. He's inspired the entire world of golf. I mean, a lot of people that are listening to this podcast probably picked up a golf club or watched the majors for tiger. You know, it's, he is, he's a brand. He's not, uh, he, he embodies the entire sport. Like he is the sport of golf. Um, I don't think we'll ever see anybody else like him and he changed the game. Like just so crazy. And like you were saying, it's so cool that, that Max Homo was just standing out thinking about tiger handing him that trophy. And it's gotta just be a surreal moment for him. Um, Quick notes, though, uh, in the playoffs. So Max absolutely uh, pissed down his leg on the 18th green. He actually, what was kind of funny, I, so he missed like a three-foot, three three-inch, three-foot-four-inch three putt. Um, it moved a lot, had a lot of movement to it. And that 18th uh, green at Riviera is notoriously tough, especially that back left pin. But Nick Faldo is actually right for once. Um, most of the time I can't listen to the dude's voice. It's like nails on a chalkboard for me, not the accent, like the accent's very charming, but the actual words that come out of his mouth are, um, hot garbage. So he, and Faldo actually said it correctly because he heard Homa tell his caddy he's playing a dead center and Faldo's like, I actually like right center. I mean, uh, you know, that, that putt does move, and you could kind of see the slope, and I don't know if Homo was trying to keep up the pace enough to, to take out the break, but it did a full-on in-and-out, whip-out. Um, and to be real, uh, the playoff was not that impressive uh, uh, golf-wise. I mean, they both made pars, and then uh, Max, Max basically made two pars to win it, uh, and, which was – the way he went about it was very impressive because he got absolutely hosed on that lie on uh, the 10th hole in the first playoff hole. Um, I thought we could count him out and I really couldn't see the angle, but I was like, Oh, he's, he's hosed. Like there's no chance. And then he, he pulls off a, a great shot hoods hooded a little bit of a wedge. It looked like, and kind of just hacked down at it. And part of that's luck too, but the 10th hole was so tough that uh, I think he kind of knew that four might be able to push it. And Tony naturally came in and underperformed, had a fairly straightforward pitch shot that he uh, hit to about eight feet, missed that. And then Tony just hit a a pretty poor shot um, on the second playoff hole. And there's so much green to the right. Uh, The 14th hole out there, Riviera is tucked way far left. There's so much green over to the right. And Tony short sized himself pretty badly. I mean, he had a a pretty long bunker shot and did pretty well to get it to about 10, 12 feet, but then uh, didn't even come close on the putt. And Max, Max had a great shot, kind of a little bit dangerous. He hit it in between the, the pin and the bunker, uh, maybe a little bit of a adrenaline going there, overcooked one just a hair, but it ended up about 12 feet. And it would have been really cool to see him make that, but, uh, you know, you can't let one of those get away from you and you end up three jacking it from 12 feet. We're all too familiar with that. Um, your brain goes from two to four really quickly. <laughs> so smart of him to just uh, get it close and kind of put that pressure on Tony to make that, that putt, and he didn't. So Max uh, 
Max, the most impressive part to me was the way he mentally hung in there after he missed that putt on 18. Like, a lot of guys would just chalk it up to, oh, it's not my week, you know. Oh, like, and especially after that great wedge shot he hit. I mean, I tweeted it out, but I was like, this is almost a foregone conclusion. Like, Max doesn't miss these. He's a good putter, and he missed it. And so just the fact that he hung in there and and – made a couple of solid pars was was very impressive yeah one of my buddies that i also went to school with who's now uh the western washington teacher of the year his name's keith bennett uh i didn't realize why he was so big and getting so many views on instagram and then i figured out that he gave macklemore golf lessons so i was like okay you're probably a pretty big deal then uh, but he was tweeting about and putting on his Instagram story. He does like lessons through the Skillist app, but he was talking about how impressive Max's demeanor was when he got hosed and that with that lie, and that a bunch of amateurs would just freak out, and even me, who's quote unquote professional, I would have freaked out seeing a lie like that. And he just handled it like a pro and didn't worry about it. So, oh yeah, and there there's a handful of guys that would. Uh... Uh, more than a handful that would get really rattled even out on tour they'd be like what the fuck is this they'd be freaking out you know golf golf gods are against me kind of thing but um you can't have a great recovery shot if you don't get a shitty lie to begin with you know and so he hit a great recovery shot and uh actually that both of those guys Finau and homa had both birdied that hole the last two times they played it and that pin wasn't in a super tough spot i mean it was tucked kind of front but homa uh, they they both had a decent look at up and downs, but they uh, I would say they both underperformed a little bit in the playoff. And Tony Fina is just walking home with about a probably six or seven hundred thousand dollar check with his tail between his legs. You know, um, sorry. Another prayers up. Another second place. Yeah, yeah this one even yeah. more heartbreaking than the others. Prayers up to him, and and I think that's another podcast I'd like to do. Um, another topic is talking about some of the greatest players to, to never win um, a major or, you know, never really break through that seemed like they had all that potential. And, I mean, where Tony's come from, if people don't know, he was on the big break, uh, the old golf TV show as a 16-year-old. Um, and Spencer and I watched that religiously. Like, that was one of our favorite shows back in the day. We would, What were we, probably in high school at the time? Yeah, high school. It, yeah, and we would watch it every Monday morning or Monday night when it was on, and that was one of our favorite shows. And he's really the only guy from Big Break to ever do anything. But he turned pro when he was sixteen, and was was playing out on mini tours. I mean, he was actually Sean Fisher, our good buddy, played with him a few times out in some mini tour events in Arizona and Utah. And the guys had game for forever, and that just goes to show you. I mean, this is we'll beat this drum again, like. Tony's been doing this for at least a dozen years now, you know, and and he beat it around mini tours for six, seven, eight years. And I think he has like a shitload of kids. Um, he's Mormon, so I think that has something to do with it. But he like I, I really don't know um, how that it, it can kind of put you in one or two spots. If you're a mini tour guy, you either play harder and w- make more money or you just quit and find a nine to five or to to feed the uh, mouths you've brought into this world but he stuck through it i think he had some pretty good sponsors back in his his younger days and he didn't even win the big break he got knocked out pretty early but i want to say it was like five years ago 
he qualified for the Canadian tour um, and just bow raced the Canadian tour. He just got hot. His putter got hot. He's always been a really good ball striker and his putter got really hot and he went from no status to PJ tour status in two years. And now his career earnings are over $20 million. So it just goes to show you, you know, if you stick with it long enough and you obviously there's some talent involved, but it, it's more work ethic. There's at least a hundred, a thousand and 10,000 dudes out there that can hit it as far as Tony and, and have a lot of the same general skill set as Tony. I mean, I saw about a hundred of them at every mini tour event I played in, you know, these guys are hitting at three, three thirty, three forty, And, and so he just, he's got that will and, and for every one of him, there's a thousand guys that are exactly like him. So I, I don't think he's going to look back at his career and be too upset about it. Um, obviously, winning the big one, winning winning tournaments is cool, but making a living playing golf, making a great living playing golf, there's worse things in the world. So, um, And Tony's always been a, a really good guy. Everyone was saying, like, why can't we just have co-winners of this? Because Max and, and Tony are two of the favorites in the locker room um, on the PGA Tour. So everybody's like, I wish we could just – crown and bowl champions and move on so uh yeah max kind of, max is an absolute hero on twitter he is one of the funniest guys there is on twitter maybe the funniest pga tour player and another just a few stats from from him for the week he started the week with 11 consecutive one putts which is the first time uh the most by a tour winner in the shot link era so the last who knows how long and he was also bogey free in his last 26 holes so Real, real stones from him coming into this tournament and just taking home the dub. I mean, it's one of those tournaments where there wasn't that high of a, you know, the leaders were at 12 under by the end of four days. So not, you know, it's three under each day. A little bit tougher venue, of course, on the PGA Tour. And then the winds, and I, we tweeted out some videos of the crazy-ass winds they had to deal with. It was just a all-in-all pretty tough golf tournament, but congrats to Max Homa. Yeah, absolutely. And and one other thing, I don't know if you've heard about this uh, conspiracy theory within golf, but apparently the Puerto Rico Open is an absolute career bender. Like it, it will uh, it'll ruin your career. I I don't think. I think there's one guy. I can't remember his name. You know, great research on my part. Um, I think there's only one guy that's ever won the Puerto Rico Open and won another PGA Tour event. Like there isn't. A hint. Well, obviously, every other dude who's won the P- or Puerto Rico Open has not won on tour since then. So, it's almost where it's like the Cleveland Browns of uh, of golf tournaments where careers go to die. You know, you win that thing, you're just hosed forever. So, um, kind of a weird statistic, and I don't know if it has any merit to it or not. But uh, I really feel for Tony, man. It's tough tough making almost a million a week you know just with all these second place finishes just a rough life so before we get to our interview with cameron deets we want to tell you guys about DraftKings sportsbook i know it's not quite march this is the last week of february but march madness is just around the horizon so if you haven't signed up for DraftKings sportsbook using that code dnvr do it now and they're doing a promo all up until march madness where all you have to do is bet one dollar in a basketball game bless you $1 in a basketball game, and either team hits a three in that basketball game, and you automatically win $100. It's called a no-brainer bet. Basically, you're starting your account off with $100. You can only deposit you can deposit 10 and you automatically have $100 in your account. 
and you can just take it to the moon from there. Um, so you can just bet $1, win $100 anytime this week on any basketball game of your choosing. And you want to get into DraftKings because March Madness is one of the most bet on, most fun things to uh, wager on, to gamble on, all the upsets, all the fun bets you're going to be able to make, all the brackets you're going to be able to make. So you want to hop into DraftKings and use that code DNVR now. Well, DNVR comma now so you can get into the fun for march madness so download the DraftKings sportsbook app now use the promo code dnvr to get your shot to turn one dollar into one hundred dollars when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week promo code dnvr for new customers and get a shot at one in one hundred odds on any basketball game only at DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook app must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply, winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. On to our boy, Cameron Dietz. Four! All right, and now we have our special guest on for the week, uh, Mr. Cameron Dietz. You can follow him on instagram at coach cam 10 and at on twitter at coach cam 10 he posts a lot of awesome workout videos he's the current strength and conditioning coach at utah valley university in what city is that in orem orem utah so sure sounds like a real fun place we do hate on utah here a lot being from colorado cameron's from colorado too so it's fine we'll all hate on utah together even though he lives there cam what's up man how you doing Good, you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited to have you on. Um, we originally had this podcast scheduled for a little earlier in the week, um, but Cameron forgot it was his own birthday, so we had to we had to push it back a little bit. Yeah, true. Actual facts here. So <laughs> you can't make that up. When you turn 28, it doesn't it doesn't mean as much. Nobody cares even less than they already did last yep. year. Happy Happy birthday! You're old. <laughs> Oh shit! Well, actually, so we'll just tell the people real quick. We we went to high school with you. We kind of we grew up playing like travel baseball with you. There was some some real fun car rides, some uh, some partying in high school that we did. We had we had quite a few good times, if I can remember correctly. Um, but then, tell us a little bit about like so. What was your path after high school that's kind of led you to this point? Yeah, so I wanted to. Uh... I wanted to work in pro baseball for a really long time because um, I wasn't good enough to play. Um, so I like toyed with journalism maybe and you know kind of thought about a couple different things and then just kind of fell in love with like sports performance and working out in the weight room and everything. Um, so when I was at you know when I was an undergrad with Spencer, um, started. Uh, like that was my major, like uh, exercise science. And so got my bachelor's degree there, um, worked in a private facility with uh, middle school age, high school age, you know, um, even some older clients too. Did some personal training, hated it. Um, I got some like uh, advice um, from a couple professional strength coaches with uh, like the Pirates, the Astros. And they told me to go get an internship. So I um, first internship I applied for and got was uh, University of Delaware. So drove out like two weeks after I got hired. Is that the Blue Hens? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so how how yeah. is that? Um, it was it was different. Um, you know, I I had never really left Colorado, like especially when it comes to like living. Um, 
you know, like I'd, like I'd gone on vacation and stuff, but like I'd never lived anywhere else. Yeah. And so it's just different. People are different. The weather's different. It's humid. Um, you know, are they all so- assholes back there? Um, no, I mean, like they drive better than people in Utah. So, you know, so it's, you know, it's so that crazy. makes the rest of the country that drives better than people in Utah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Utah and then everybody else. No, but, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a good experience. Um, got to work with basketball, volleyball, um, football primarily, you know, just main Olympic sports and football. So got, that was my first experience really collegiately um when i came back i was able to work a little bit at uccs when i got back um and then from there i got a chance to be a graduate assistant so uh pretty much they pay you like a they pay you like a college athlete so i think i was making 1200 bucks a month and they also paid for my master's degree so making less than minimum wage but uh you know wait they pay college athletes yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. Yeah, the, the stipend in your degree. I mean, like the way you look at it when you're a GA is you're um, you're pretty you're pretty much in the same exact boat as um, any full ride athlete minus basketball. Basketball makes more money, but um, <laughs> it's it's a fact. Um, so, like, if it, you know, I was you know making enough to get by, and I uh, got my master's degree up there in exercise physiology. So worked for two years there, um, took another summer internship after uh, graduation at the University of North Texas, and then took the job here at Utah Valley University. So been here for a year and a half, I guess. Didn't you work at Northern Colorado too? Am I crazy? Yeah, that's where I got, that's where I was a GA was Northern Colorado. Uh, so okay. went from Delaware, came back, uh, worked at Northern Colorado, went down to Texas, worked at North Texas, and then now I'm in Utah. So four different states in I guess five years four or five years something like that so you missed you missed working with Ed McCaffrey by a few years yeah um you know just got up there the staff's still the same for the most part a couple of the people that I worked you know like the director that's still there he's still working with football there um and then the guy that I was a graduate assistant with Payne he's uh he's an assistant there now so still uh, that's pretty well real quick I know that this is a golf podcast but um, what, what is that, what does hiring Ed McCaffrey do for, uh, a program like UNC? They should be a lot better. <laughs> well, thank you, Madden. Like, yeah. I, like yeah. what way of recruits and way of like, well, does he move the needle? Yeah, he moves the needle a lot. Um, for them, I, and this is just what I've heard from it again, I'm still close with that staff cause I know the, the strength staff there still, um, they have. I mean, they've got they've got more than twenty like FBS Division One drop downs. So guys that you know maybe they they were stuck in the depth chart or they weren't getting as much playing time as they wanted or they didn't like the school that they ended up committing to or they played with Ed, they played for Ed McCaffrey in high school or whatever the case is. There's a bunch of guys that left like Power Five schools to come to UNC, including his son that just left Michigan. And so his, let's see, not the oldest son uh, is like a coach on the staff. He's the wide receivers coach. The, oh, I did not know his, that. That's pretty cool. His, yeah. So his oldest son is a wide receivers coach, I believe, at Northern Colorado. Um, Christian McCaffrey is obviously playing for the Panthers still. The third son was a quarterback at Michigan, and he just transferred within the last couple of weeks 
to Northern Colorado and the youngest son just entered the transfer portal from Nebraska, but I don't, I, he's not, I mean, it wouldn't make sense to have both of them. Like you, you can only play one quarterback. So he's the other son. I don't know where he'll commit, but yeah, they've got, I mean, his, his, the, let's see the third son. I don't know the names, but the third son, he was a four-star recruit out of high school at Valor. So like he's, he's a four-star quarterback that's transferring to Northern Colorado. Like, yeah, they're, they're instantly better just because of that. If not, all the other guys that have transferred, like they've got guys that transferred from CU. They've got guys that I, I wouldn't be shocked if there's a guy that I want to say there's a guy that transferred from like Arkansas. Like they have guys that have left higher football to come down and play, let alone if you have a coaching staff that can, you know, implement the right play calls and stuff like that. And, you know, they're able to produce. I don't see why they won't be instantly better. If if they don't finish 500, I'd be shocked, honestly. And, and I know, I still know most of the guys that are the seniors there now were freshmen when I first started. Um, so That's badass. Got, yeah, so they've got a they've got a solid group of guys. I don't see why they wouldn't instantly be better. So yeah, uh, so real real quick, I was gonna say I think Valor has more funding than UNC does. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, the facilities, everything. It's fucking nuts to me. Like, and they're they're just turning. Go ahead. I'm I sorry. I guarantee that they sell. From when I went to football games there, I wouldn't be shocked if Valor had at least five times as many fans at every game. <laughs> that is asinine, dude. And that's just... Colorado. That's Colorado high school football. When you go to Texas high school, they're selling out 60,000 seat stadiums. Yeah. And UNC was getting a thousand people, so they're going to be better. I, you know, it, it it'll be instant. You know, just because sure. so many, there's there there are better players that came, and whether it was because they came because of him or whatever the case is, like they're, they're that's a program that should be significantly better than it was last year. Yeah, putting Luke, themselves on the map. Luke is transferring to Louisville. That's where he's going. And I Ooh. and I was I had read when I looked up the third brother, and I had I saw on Instagram that he was transferring to UNC. I looked and saw that the youngest brother had announced that he was going to transfer, but I didn't hear where he is. So he, you know, him ending up and, and he could, and, and the kid that transferred to Northern Colorado, it wasn't like his only option was to go play for his dad. Like he, he had other options that were still, you know, power five schools. So, um, they're definitely going to be better. Love it. So moving on into a little bit of uh, what you're doing now at Utah Valley. So, you guys are currently ranked number seven in the whole country in Division One in golf, so congratulations to that. That's awesome. Um, I was looking up some stats and stuff. It looks like you guys took second place in the Pizza Hut Pat Hicks invite, um, 26 under for the week. A uh, guy named, or it was in St. George, so kind of in your home state. I'm, I'm sure a lot of your guys were comfortable there. Uh, well, so one thing we talk about on this podcast a lot, and I'm sure your guys have to deal with this a ton too because – they play tournaments in other other states, you know, like they played the last tournament they played at, at Goose Creek in California, they have to deal with the, the distance difference and like adjusting to that. And I'm sure so I'm sure playing at home ish in St. George with a little bit more altitude, they were super comfortable there. Um, some of your kids like uh, Gabe Lyson, he was seventh in that tournament. Brady McKinley uh, shot 65 in the first round and was actually leading after that tournament. 
and Kai Aguchi finished 12th at four under, and every kid on your guys' squad was even or under par for that tournament. So, um, really good start to the year. What have you been like seeing from these kids? And and it looks like when we were looking up your roster, you guys got a lot of kids from like the Pacific Northwest and in Vancouver and like Canada. Yeah. So Coach Curran recruits Canada and I and like heavily um, are the recruiting class and like. When you hear about recruiting classes, a lot of times with like team sports, you hear, you know, football signed 20 guys or whatever, you know. So golf's recruiting class this year, I think, is only two, but one's from Hawaii and one's from Canada again. And I think that the biggest thing that I've seen is, you know, they've, they've been successful recruiting Canadians. And I don't know how far back it dates to before I got here, but I can say that currently if you have a kid that comes in and he's from Canada and he plays well, the kids that he played against in Canada are like, Oh, like, yeah, you know, so-and-so Kai is playing at Utah Valley and you know, he loves it or whatever. You know, I, I still keep in touch with him. So when coach Curran like reaches out and says, Hey, like, you know, you want to come play at UVU? It's yeah. Like it, it, you make that, um, you know, it's like a, it's, I think it's technically it's, um, it's not a blue chip prospect, but like in football, they consider like states that you consistently recruit, like important. So, you know, um, CU for a long time, Texas has been a a state that they always recruit. It may not be like where they're from, but at the same time, you get this uh, consistent pattern of kids from your area that go to this school and it just kind of breeds and it builds on itself. Like, Oh yeah. You know, uh, Kai's been successful down there. Uh, Sean's been down, you know, all these Canadian kids come down, they're successful. I think that, you know, when, and, and I can't speak totally on recruiting, but I mean, the common sense part to me is if you're a really great high school golfer in America and you get offers from Utah Valley or uh, Clemson, where are you going to go? So if you're a Canadian golfer and you get an offer from, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, uh, let's just say CSU in Utah Valley, but you have kids that you played with or played against growing up or guys that you're, you know, maybe your siblings know or whatever that are at Utah Valley and they're not at CSU, who's to say, like, why wouldn't you choose UVU, right? So I think that there's that consistent, like, ability to recruit kids that are maybe a step above kids that you could recruit from America. Um, it's, that's super common. That's super – so when I was at Northern Colorado, I worked with tennis – the men's tennis team had a guy from Spain, a guy from France, three guys from England. Um, you know, and it's the same thing. You're able to get higher quality athletes from different countries potentially because, you know, they uh, they want to go to America and experience that for, you know, four to five years. Um, and somebody's going to give them the chance to go and, and, you know, pay for school. And, you know, they look at it as like, cool, I get a degree. But, like, even the kids that were – that played tennis, they didn't really care about the degree. They cared about the four to five years of experience of like going to a different country. It's like studying abroad, but getting a degree and, and getting to play your sport. Because when you're playing, like if you stay in France to play tennis, you're playing like on television and you're nationally ranked, right? So you can go to college and still get paid, you know, get school paid for and get a stipend and everything and still play tennis, even though you're not good enough probably to continue to play in England or to continue to play in France or Spain or whatever. Um, so I think the same thing can be said here for golf. Like you just build this consistent presence of Canadian golfers and they're 
obviously talented and they they want to come here and they want to play um yeah actually du i know is kind of the same way they have nine international players out of 10 on their roster or at least when i was looking to maybe try to get recruited by them that's what it was there was uh one kid from america on their entire roster and and like you said that does make sense because uh it's a comfortability factor i'm sure with recruiters where they're like i know these certain high schools produce certain and and golf's a little tougher you know because there's football powerhouses there's uh baseball powerhouses and so forth but golf is a little different because you can find some diamonds in the rough here and there but generally i'm sure once you kind of get in a comfortable area where you have recruited kids and you kind of you open up that pipeline, like you said, of, of former athletes who still t- stay in touch with uh, kids who are now current athletes, and they're like, oh, I love my experience, the coaching was great, and all that, so that actually does make a lot of sense, I never really thought about it that way. Yeah, well, like, remember Dietz when we were in, uh, when we were at UCCS, and the basketball team was balling, and we were, like, playing Metro State, and they were ranked number one in the country, half of their team was from, Aus- whoa, Australia, like, you looked up at their roster and like they had the same pipeline of kids coming from literally across the entire world to come play at Metro. And once you get a few of them and they like it, they just continue to flow. And then, you know, I'm sure for the coaches too, you know, they kind of, they feel comfortable. I'm sure the co- the golf coach at UVU feels comfortable going to Vancouver and going up to Canada and recruiting. And, and he's got almost like a name there where people are like, Oh, this is kind of a pipeline type of deal. Right. When you think about it, you know, um, if, if I want to recruit hockey, I, all the best Canadian kids are probably playing at, you know, Minnesota, playing at, you know, North Dakota, uh, playing at all these powerhouse hockey schools, right? So when you think about golf, you don't think about Canada. You, or I'm sorry, when you think about Canada, you don't think about golf. You know, you think about hockey. And yeah. so you get these kids that, like, they're, they're good golfers, but they, they fly under the radar because they're playing a sport that their country isn't known for. And so, you know, you get a kid that, you know, let's just say he averages par coming out of high school at, um, you know, pretty much any course that he plays. But because he's in Canada, he's not getting looks from, you know, the schools that are trying to recruit kids that play, like, par golf coming out of high school, for example. I mean, I'm using yeah. a decent golf. Well, though, but, be, because there's already so many of those kids in America, they don't even look to Canada. So the Canadian right. kids just kind of get forgotten about, I'm sure. And right. honestly, that's pretty much the same as trying to get recruited out of Elizabeth High School because I was averaging just under – I was averaging 72.8 my senior year and didn't get a single offer. Um, so that was like, really? I know there's plenty of programs that could use a golfer that shoots about even par, but like you said, if if you don't get eyes on you, you, you know, you kind of go with your best option. And it's actually very smart of – them to recruit that way because you know it's it's such a tough thing if you're just throwing pins at a, a board of america or the all of north america you know it's you can't you can go and find any good golfer in any town but to really kind of zero in on on a certain area probably seems like a really good strategy when it's been working you know i think that's the thing is like they've consistently been getting better um one of our you know, one, one of the guys that would normally travel because of COVID and stuff, he stayed back. Um, so one of our top five golfers isn't even here. And, you know, we're still playing this kind of golf. So That's I think awesome. the, other piece, the other piece, and I'm like, I mean, obviously, I'm a, you know, 
strength conditioning, athletic trainers, you know, even um, like academic advisors, like we're, we're support staff, like that's our title, you know? And so, I mean, the credit goes to the guys, the credit goes to the head coach that recruits them, you know, all that, all the credit goes to them. Um, my job is just to help them. But I will say that the one thing also this year specifically, our roster size is really big. So we have 13 right now on the roster, and that's not including the kid that didn't come play this year. So we would have 14. Um, and you only travel five, or at least we, we've tra- we traveled seven in the first tournament and had two guys play independent, and then we had uh, traveled six, one kid played independent. I think from here on out, they'll go five. Um, and when you look at it, you say, wow, like one-third of your team's traveling. You know, that's that that in itself makes it it makes every practice round that you play it makes every practice it makes every single thing it it puts way more pressure on you to continue to play well and at the end of the day i remember talking to some of the guys and you know oh you you know golf it's you know it's you i don't really play well under pressure it's like okay well what are you going to do on the 18th hole when you're tied for, you know, shit, you could be tied for 30th, but in the team score, we're tied, like legit yeah. tied first. And you're, you're the fifth guy on the, on our, on our lineup. And, and it's the 18th hole and you need to hit par. Yeah. You know, are you going to sink or swim? Are you going to crush? Are you going to fold like a lawn chair under that pressure? Or are you going to like, you know, rise to the challenge? And I think that, that happens in team sports. You hear about that kind of stuff all the time. Bottom of the ninth, two outs. I gotta get a base hit. Um, you know, fourth quarter, minute left. I gotta, I gotta get a first down. Those things happen in team sports all the time, but people don't think about it. In my opinion, people don't think about it as much in golf because traditionally people play golf for fun. But when you're playing golf and that's your sport, there needs to be a sense of urgency. There needs to be a sense of pressure. And I think that having a large roster has done that a little bit this year. Um, so that's one of the things that I think has helped us. I'm not, I don't think that it's, it's something that's sustainable. I don't think, you know, like you said, DU's got, we said nine or 10, uh, DU's got way more funding than we do. I promise you that. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, paying for memberships for these guys to play and practice and, you know, for the gear and for the travel and all this stuff, you know, it's, it's not sustainable to hold a roster, at a mid-major school of 15 but we have it at the moment and it's helping us in that way i think it's helping us in that you know handling pressure you know situation that totally makes sense because it seems well it just like you said it brings a more sense of urgency to it and it brings more competition like there's you know even if you're the two or three guy you know that all these other 12 13 dudes could go out and and shoot two, three, four under, and if enough of them do it, then you can get bumped out of your spot. You know those other guys are capable of that. So you constantly have to push. It's like a you can't take the day off and expect to just travel to that next event because you know there's guys behind you that are hungry for that spot, which is really cool. And I also agree with you in the, uh, in the team sport of golf sense because golf is, is so branded as individual that if you're having a shitty day out there, you just kind of mail it in like, Oh, it, I, this, my score doesn't affect anyone other than me. I mean, that is traditional golf, but with team like college golf and even high school golf, you, like you said, you could, 
shoot 82, but if you shot 83, your team could lose the tournament, you know, and, and that's a little bit of an extreme case, but you're, you're always pushing no matter what, no matter where you're at in year round, you don't know where everybody else is at. So you're trying to do what's best for you individually, but also for you as a team, which I think is, is super cool. So, yeah, exactly. Um, Oh, go ahead, Spence. I'm sorry. I was going to say, so what, uh, do you know, what is the process like each week or how does it work as far as who gets to go to those tournaments? Is there's like a, do they have to play in? Is it a, is it a, you know, coach's decision? How does that all, do you know what goes into that? Yeah. So from what I understand, uh, they played a qualifying round and it was, they played legit three rounds because they normally play 32, uh, gosh, 18 times three, 36. 54. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Cam, Cameron Dietz, good, was, at, good at strength and conditioning, that, not good at math. No, I know. I was I count in fives. Um, no, but I um, uh, I was thinking about baseball. So you know, uh, thirty six innings is how many innings they played last weekend. But um, yeah, they, I mean, they played fifty four holes, so they went and played three rounds. Um, and I I do not know what course they played at, but they did go down south because the weather was was cruddy here. So they, they took the entire team down, and they played three rounds, um, and this was maybe a week, week and a half before their first tournament. And Coach took the top seven guys, and it was pretty much like, you're you're going to play in. Um, top five guys are going to go, and I'll, we'll have a coach's decision for the, the final two. So one of the kids was a coach's decision because he wasn't able to go because he had tested positive for COVID before he left. So he, or before the team left. So he wasn't able to play. Um, he transferred from Idaho or Idaho state and he's, he's one of our top five guys. So coach knew like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna punish you for getting COVID. Like it's not your fault that, you know, you got a burrito that had COVID in it or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he knows, he knows a burrito with COVID in it. I, I I've never. But, you know, so he, he was a coach's decision, and then pretty much he took the top six guys. Um, and then obviously they played so well in that first tournament that it's like, I'm not going to shake things up. But they did drop one guy because um, he didn't play well. And so they were down to six. But that last, like, fifth, sixth spot, they tied in that first tournament. One was playing independent, and one was playing, obviously, as the five spot. And, um, and so he was able to get, uh, an extra spot for him in this last tournament. Um, from here on out, he'll keep this top five. Um, for the rest of the semester, I don't know. I do know that I, I would believe that if something, you know, it golf's in a good spot because like, if we have COVID and, you know, We've got to have people quarantine or whatever the case is. We've got enough guys that, like, at least we could play in the tournaments. I, I was going to ask you that, like, because NHL right now has expanded, like, their active roster for, like, a ta- quote-unquote taxi squad. Is that why? Or was this just coincidence that they ended up with 13 guys? Because this is a great year to have that, you know, like you said, guys uh, test positive for COVID and all of a sudden, you know, you could – and they spend a lot of time together, I'm sure, or, probably not as much this year, but you've got a guy who tests positive and he, he's in close contact with three or four other players, you know, that could put you in jeopardy of not having enough guys to fill a roster. So right. was that, was that coincidence or was that, was that kind of on purpose? Um, I, I never asked Chris. Um, I, 
I would think part of the part of the reason for the size of roster was we recruited guys thinking that guys were gonna graduate. And when guys didn't graduate, Oh, that extra year of eligibility. Yeah, the extra year of eligibility backed up a little bit. And I think that's what that's what happened. I mean baseball's got forty seven right now. And normally they're not allowed to have more than forty and they travel thirty five, right? So um, there's unlimited roster sizes right now um, because of that, because of that extra year. Because okay. they don't want kids that got recruited to, like, essentially get screwed over. Um, and then it was up to the universities to choose whether they wanted to, um, out of their own budget, provide or match the scholarship for the graduating people. So, for example, softball. Um, we have three seniors that would have left last year and they utah valley honored their scholarships we had a fourth she decided not to come back so they would have honored four scholarships but three of them came back so the roster for softball this year is about three bigger than what we would have had right okay so let's just say and I don't, I don't actually, I don't honestly know the the scholarship number. Like I know baseball is eleven point seven five. That's the NCAA limit for scholarships for baseball. So let's just say the softball is the same, right? You got twelve scholarships. So those three that they decided to bring back don't count against that. So there are schools out there that honored their, you know, extra year or these these super seniors, I guess. They honored their scholarships, and, you know, let's just say that their graduating class would have been uh, 10, and they were all full scholarship. Well, if the university decided to honor that, they not only have 10 full scholarship athletes, which are probably going to be your better athletes, right, but they're also probably recruiting 10 other girls, and so now instead of having 12 scholarships, they have 22 and so that team's got to be deeper than the teams that have 12 or in our case, you know, let's just say 15. Right. So with golf, I think that that was part of the reason, but you know, okay. part of it's just, we didn't really, we don't need to cut anybody. You know, it's, we're in a, we're in a position where um, the guys that aren't traveling, you know, a lot of them are local. And so like, it's not like, it's not like they're, uh, having an expanded roster, it might be like, it works out. Right with this, the whole COVID thing, but at the same time, I don't know if that was the goal. I just think that we have a big roster, and I do know talking to Coach Curran that it was like he thought about you know like yeah we're we're gonna make it competitive like we've got five spots, and you're gonna you know you're either gonna crumble under that pressure like I talked about, or you're gonna do well and we're gonna travel the five guys. Um, so you know it, it does work out with COVID. I mean, baseball just had to cancel their whole weekend series against Bakersfield because of one positive case, oh, and geez. because you know because they were sitting on the bus next to you know they were within six feet of these guys and they sat on the plane and that, that guy was around these guys you know and it's like okay like now we don't have enough guys because there's so many different contacts and we got to wait five days to get them tested and by the time we get them tested like they just canceled the series you know and so. Bigger, definitely, bigger de- yeah, definitely worked in your guys' benefit for sure. Um, for yeah. yeah. Well, so let's get into this a little bit since this is more your specialty. Um, so kind of a few questions. Uh, first of all, what what is your main focus when you're working with the golf guys? 
um, in a purely from a strength and conditioning standpoint. Um, and then also what, what do you feel like translates and we're kind of, I'm not, I don't want to cross up sports here, but what, what would you say is most similar to golf in the way of movements and, and muscle energy and, I, I'm just using technical terms. I don't know what the fuck they mean, but you, I think you know what I mean. Like, what is most comparable in another sport to golf, and what what are the main groups? Because I'll just start off and say this: um, I don't know shit about uh, like phy- phy- the physiology of any of it, but it would seem to me that flexibility is a huge aspect, and anybody who doesn't think flexibility is a huge aspect of golf is an idiot. And then also like shoulders, hips, and then also like ankle health, knee, like joint health, I think has to be kind of a, a big thing too. So I, I want to get your opinion on that. So for me, there's, you know, there's always been this debate on like what is strong enough, right? Like for a long, Absolutely. Time, um, for a long time, and this is across all different sports, but um like the National Strength and Conditioning Association, their recommendation was like being able to back squat double your body. Like that, that was strong enough, right? That was strong enough, but it was like for what? Like to do high intense plyos, and then what is a high intense plyo? Is like is that like jumping from off the top of a fifty inch box? You know, like that's that's a like I can I can back squat double body weight, and I don't want to jump off of a fifty inch box because I weigh two sixty. So it's like, you know long enough right and so that's been a debate for a long time and i think if you ask certain people they'll tell you different things i'll say that golf traditionally and you guys may be able to speak on this it's not a it's not a weight room sport right it's not like these kids if all they do is golf they didn't get in the weight room when they were freshmen and how to squat learn how to clean learn how to do you know whatever learn how to lift so most of the time when i get these guys and, and girls because i work with the girls team too uh my goal is just to teach them how to, to lift with getting injured you know I, we don't do anything like really really complex or really really complicated uh we're really good at doing basic things and we do them every single time they come to the gym uh so we'll always do some kind of squat which if i'm trying to make it simple it's you, you, we're going to bend your knee um we do some kind of hinge or like flexing it so like um like when you load to jump, like you strip strings and you push your hips back, so your knees stay slightly bent, I, like an RDL, right? So we learn how to bend at the hip, we learn how to bend at the knee, uh, we learn how to push things, so like a push up, as simple as that. We learn how to pull things, so like a TRX row or a chin up, like pull yourself up. And then really the thing that I think separates us a lot is like we learn how to brace or we do a lot of bracing. So we do a lot of um, anti-rotation and anti-flexion. So like a plank or, you know, different different variations where you're working on stability through your midsection and, and through your side as obliques and low back too, right? Um, so once we're like good about that, we've, you know, we're, we, we squat well, we move well, we do these things well then it's okay we're going to really focus on getting strong and once we get our strength up to a certain point then we're going to work on moving light weights fast so like i'll always tell my athletes it doesn't matter how heavy the weight is i want them to move it like it's light right 
or I'm sorry, I want them to move it like it's their one rep max. So like if you go in and you squat and you can only squat 200 pounds, I want you to squat 200 pounds as fast as you possibly can. If the bar has 100 pounds on it, I want you to move it like it's 200 pounds with like intent, right? I want you to stand up as fast as you can because, and, and what I'll tell them all the time is you may chip and you may putt, obviously, like at not full strength. But if you get the driver out, you're swinging the driver, not maybe not as hard as possible, but you're swinging it fast. So when we're in the weight room, we do things, when we're doing things that are light, we do them fast. We're not going to do things light and slow. It doesn't make sense to do, right? Almost like an overspeed type thing. Um, I mean, we're just we're just emphasizing intent and speed no matter what we do. I'm going to turn the light real quick. Okay. Um, but like, you know, no matter what we do, we're going to emphasize we're going to emphasize intent and we're going to emphasize speed no matter what the weight is. I like um, that. So for us, you know, we'll do these movements. Let's just say the, the main things that we'll do, um, golf's one of the few sports that is played. Most sports, when you consider like running, foot is on the ground at a time. So when I say like played on two legs, I mean both feet are on the ground. Um, even in a golf swing, you have to transfer your weight and rotate, but you're also producing force. So for us, the two things that we, you know, most bang for our buck normally are going to be trap bar deadlift. And, and so if we can get our fronts, and the reason we front squat instead of back squat, and like I said, the, the gold standard is what, double body weight? So the reason that we don't back squat is because it is harder on your low back. There's more torque in that joint, especially when the lower that you squat. And so if the bar is on your back and there's more torque in your low back and probably the most common injury in golf is low back injuries, we're just going to take that movement out. That doesn't mean we're not going to squat, but front squat is a safer variation of it. So for us, we try and shoot for 1.6 times body weight for front squat and pretty much how the math breaks down is you should be able to front squat 80 percent of what you back squat so let's say that i have an athlete and they're able to front squat uh 200 pounds their back squat max is going to be 240 and nine times out of ten that is 100 percent true um, for us, 1.6 is is kind of that gold where it's it's 80 percent of double body weight. 1.6. It should be 1.6. Anyways, <laughs> so that's kind of our goal. Now, I I have kind of, especially with golf, I've kind of been changing my mind a little bit, even with baseball, on that because um, the sports science and football strength staff at Alabama, and they were new this last, I want to say just this last year. Um, the old strength coach took uh, took a job at Georgia, and so they brought in um, the strength staff from Nick Saban hired the strength staff from the University of Indiana, and they don't put as big an emphasis on strength. They put a lot more emphasis on speed, and so their gold standard, I want to say, is like one point seven times body weight for back squat, which translates to less in front squat. Right, so it's about one point three, one point three eight, one point four. Which all that means is is that like if I weigh two hundred pounds, my goal is strong enough to score. Um, so originally for me, if I weigh two hundred pounds, my goal is to be able to squat 
320, right? But if I move that percentage down to 1.4, my pull then becomes squatting, uh, let's see, uh, 280. Yeah, 280. So it's a more realistic goal. But at the same time, if I can front squat 280 pounds, that's, you're pretty damn strong. Like we've got, I've got a handful of guys that will squat 280. Um, I, I probably have one of, if it's not the, yeah, probably one of the strongest men's golfers in the country, to be honest with you. Um, he's just, he's just built different. Like he, he literally, he could probably walk onto a football team and they would probably not blink an eye at the fact that he's going to probably show up in trial for safety. Um, is he actually good at football? No, but he, like we know this, he'll admit this, but um, it doesn't mean that he doesn't look the part, right? Very strong, very athletic. Um, yeah, there's so there's good. quite a few guys like that in golf. I mean, you look at Dustin Johnson, who could be uh, like an Olympic level swimmer, or uh, Bryson DeChambeau looks like a linebacker. You know, well, <laughs> well and then we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's. Strength, generally speaking, I would say there's a demographic of people who fall into a golf category, and you don't have to be strong to be good at golf by any means. No, 100%. And the guys that, you know, the guys that aren't as strong on the team, they'll say that. But the guys that are currently traveling right now, they're pretty damn strong. So we try and build, like, if you think about it, like, our goal is to teach them how to move. Right, because I'm not going to have them come in and not know how to do things and be like, "All right, let's lift heavy." So, like, we spend a long time doing it right, and then once they do it right and they look good and they know how to do it, but then we work on producing more force, right? And so that's the way I look at it: is like you have your house. Like, if I my house is built on a, a foundation, and if I have a weak foundation, I'm going to have a less stable house. If I build a house on sand, compared or to concrete, then the rush of the waves on the beach are going to knock over my house, even though there could be a lot of money spent on the walls and on the ceilings and on the chandelier that's hanging in the entryway. But, like, I got to have a foundation of concrete. And so for us, it's that strength. And so I want to be able to produce more force. So if I'm an athlete and I go from deadlifting 400 pounds to 500 pounds, I can produce, four, uh, I can produce 100 pounds more force into the ground than I could have before. And then once we get to that certain point, and that's what I was talking with all these numbers, right? Once we get to the point where I'm with our goal, right? Once I can produce that much force, I'm not going to spend as much time focusing on continuing to build that foundation. My foundation is set. The concrete's poured. We're good. I can produce this amount of force based on how much I weigh. Now let's focus on, you know, framing the house and putting all the, you know, putting all the things in the house that I want. I don't, you don't, you guys never, you never, I don't, I don't think about what my house is built on. I just know that I live in a house, right? And it's a sturdy house that's built on concrete. But if you, you know, if you don't have that foundation, you think about it a lot because uh, a strong windstorm could knock over your house or, you know, whatever the case is, right? So, our focus is to try and build that foundation once it's there and we're strong enough. And that's why I used all those numbers. It's, it doesn't really matter. But like once we're strong enough, then we can really focus on moving weight fast. And that's where I think that we've seen the jump, especially this 
here in okay now we we're stronger because we've had two years of lifting with camera or two off seasons two falls so now we know we're strong enough and now we're moving lightweight fast also and that's it that's been resulting in a higher swim speeds that's been resulting in further driving distance that's been you know and and if i can drive the ball a little bit further than you and i may not be a, a good golfer but if I can drive the ball a little bit further, I may be able to use a club that I'm more comfortable with on my second shot, or I may be able to drive all the way to a point where I can chip. And the guy that I'm playing against or matched up against, he's going to have to, you know, rely on not chipping after a drive. He's going to have to rely on, on hitting an iron and then potentially chipping or hopefully hitting a perfect iron shot, right? That's how's my golf lingo. But, you know, like... Like, if you can drive the ball further, you can produce more force, you're a better athlete. And if you're a better athlete, like, you should be a better golfer, you know. And and if you move the weight well, you can lift heavy. Like, if you do it right, you're not going to get hurt. And um, the flexibility piece comes in, we do things right. Like, when we squat, we squat all the way. Like, we don't do half squats. You know, we – the only thing that we do that's partial range of motion, like, it would be, like, a trap bar deadlift. And it's because the the – bar isn't sitting on the ground it's you know it's, it is on the, the plates are on the ground and then the handles are elevated so it's a little bit more of a mechanical advantage for when it comes to how high you are from the ground right um but you know at the end of the day we we want to produce more force and then once we produce enough force right we have the ability to do that and then we want to do it fast because swinging a golf club is fast it's like throwing a baseball it's it's fast there's there's nothing slow about swinging a driver, right? So that's kind of our intent there. Um, you know, we do we do med ball work. We do, you know, like I said, we do the core work and, and you know, all these other things. But really at, at the base of what we do is in the offseason, we, we build up our ability to produce force. And then once we're strong enough, we start to work on or we focus more on moving lightweight fast so does your does your golf coach does he like do you guys have meetings with like not necessarily golf but just coaches in general where they're like hey you know our athletes are deficient or not as efficient in something that i want them to be more efficient in so you guys push that more that in those next couple weeks or do are the coaches kind of stay out of the weight room and you kind of just that's when you guys the strength and conditioning people and and depends on the coach depends on the coach so like you know i i try and over communicate with my coaches so they know what we're doing and why we're doing it um you know i have i have all five of the coaches that i work with top to bottom are all great um you know they they have seen the difference in the athletes from before i was here and now that i'm here and so they trust me to do you know some trust me more than others but they trust me to do whatever it takes to help their teams you know that's my job i my job is to help. I'm support staff, right? I'm there to help them improve. My job is never to take away from their ability to play golf or to play softball or to play soccer. Like my my job is to help them do that better. Um, so at the end of the day, yeah, I, I, I we talk quite often. I actually uh, the men's golf coach lifts with the team, so he knows exactly what we're doing because so. He comes in and he works out with the guys. They like it. He likes it. Um, 
So if he ever has questions for me or I ever have questions for him, he's there whenever the guys are there. Um, so, you know, that's a unique situation. That doesn't happen with all my other people. But for us, it's worked out really well. That's awesome. So what does the day in, like, the life of a college golfer look like as far as do they work out with you every day? Is it, you know, do you work out less before tournaments um, just to prevent any sort of injuries or, or soreness or anything like that? Or is it pretty much the same no matter whether they're playing competitively that week or not? I think I heard all your question, but you broke up a little bit. Um, we, um, we will, we will cater the volume most of the time to tournament time. So, um, we still will lift heavy, uh, in season right now. They lift Tuesday, Thursday as a team. Um, in the off season, ideally I'd like to have them go, you know, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, where they have a day in between scheduling's hard. Uh, because I have so many teams, because so many teams use the facility. Uh, so this year we did Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and it's the first time that I've ever had a team train like lower body and then upper body and then lower body. Most of the time I train all, like I train my team very similarly. We just, you know, I'll use different exercises and obviously different intensities based on their schedules and stuff. But uh, most of the time, it's it's we're going to train legs. We're, like I said at the very beginning, we're going to squat, we're going to hinge, we're going to push, we're going to pull, we're going to brace. And I do that every every lift. Um, so this year in the fall, we did like squat and hinge. We did more legs, though, than just like, you know, a couple movements. We focused purely on lower body and core. And then we went Tuesday, upper body and core. And then um, Thursday, lower body and core again. Um, but right now they go Tuesday, Thursday, uh, I have different workouts or different percentages, I guess, based on, you know, if, if guys are traveling, I'll probably, you know, those five guys that are traveling, I'll probably have them go a little bit lighter or, you know, there are some weeks that they only lift once. Like I saw them, the travel guys, I saw them today. Um, they weren't here Tuesday because they had just finished their round of golf. So, or their last round in the tournament. So um, one to two times a week, um, I will have, I, you know, speak like I'll have all the guys come in tomorrow, uh, and it's, it's optional and they're there to the point now where especially all the travel guys, they will want to come, um, they will want to come in and work out now because they're bought into the fact that they're better athletes now than they were. And so tomorrow they're coming in for an extra day because um, they want to continue to get better. We have, I think they play the next round, they play the seventh. So like I have pretty much the whole team coming in tomorrow um, because they want an extra day, you know? And so you build buy-in and like a, like a culture of success because they see that they're better. They see that they're playing well, that they they're hitting the ball further and, you know, top to bottom they enjoy it and so they want to come in the next day so it's really hard to say like what days they come in i'll i'll cater to anybody that wants to come in and get extra things done um my strongest guy he wants to come in and he's like like listen i lifted heavy today i think let's see they trap our deadlifted today and i want to say that we hit a single at no we hit three reps at i think 85 percent of their max um so my strongest guy was deadlifting uh close to let's see 450 pounds for a three reps day so 
he was like, I'm I, like, I don't, I don't want to lift tomorrow, but I want to do some, like you talked about mobility, flexibility, stuff like that. I want to work on T-spine and being able to, you know, rotate through my upper back, which is how the body's supposed to work, not rotating through the low back. Stuff with him. Um, anybody that wants to join him, he'll do that. And, and we've got some younger guys that want to lift heavy because they still aren't at that like standard of like, Okay, I could still get, I could still improve when it comes to how much force I can produce. So I want to lift heavy tomorrow, and we have, you know, more than a full week off before we play again. So they want to come in and they want to lift. Some of the guys don't, you know. We'll we'll make it optional for them. Uh, you know, on those optional days, we'll we'll give them whatever they think they need. That's cool, dude. Um, another question: Do you do you work with them on flexibility or? Is there a, a totally different entity on like flexibility and like I don't know if they do yoga classes or anything or or is that ultimately your job is to deal with flexibility and preventing injury on top of the strength? So strength, like when I talk about a foundation for house, for me, in my opinion, if you're strong, you're you're less less fragile, right? I'm stronger. I'm to handle more stress because my joints are used to holding, you know, whatever, a lot of weight and being able to move it. Um, and so I'm less fragile, I'm less likely to get hurt. And therefore, like, that's my injury prevention almost. It's like, we're going to get strong and guys don't get hurt because of it. Um, if you if you go into the weight room too much, way too soon without learning how to, you're going to get hurt. Um, it's not a matter. And so we... Um, when it comes to flexibility and mobility, I take them through a movement screen and I look at, you know, how far can they work external rotation with their hips. Um, we'll do a little shoulders. We do a lot more shoulder. Like I care more about how my shoulders move in baseball and softball, but I care with golf when it comes to like T-spine rotation and the ability for their upper back to rotate and their ability to, for their hips and shoulders to separate. So we look at that, we measure that range of motion and we have found that when they play their sport, they consistently rotate as much as they should. And it's not like they're getting muscle bound or anything that's preventing them from rotating. So we don't like specifically work on like, okay, we're going to stretch or whatever. You know, when we warm up, we stretch. When we, we go through certain mobility drills to focus on, um, internal rotation of the hips, which will help us swinging. It'll help us throwing if we're like in throwing sport, right? Um, so we work on those things every day, but we don't specifically go, all right, let's, um, you know, let's lay down and, and have you guys stretch out your upper backs by, you know, uh, you know, reaching over here and, you know, rotating your hips or, you know, we don't, we just don't do it. We just don't, I, we don't find the need when we do the, their T-spine range of motion is what it is and it's not decreasing over time. So, you know, we're not going to, if it ain't broke, they'll fix it. Right. So we don't mess too much with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as long as you're not losing flexibility, cause that's my, one of my big things is uh, a lot of golfers, well, even just athletes get to the point where, if you're gaining so much muscle that you're losing flexibility, then you're probably not making yourself a better athlete. You may be getting stronger and kind of going back to what you said about being strong enough, you know, what is strong enough and where's that kind of happy medium between I can always, I can be stronger, but that, that doesn't mean it's going to benefit me as an athlete. So, uh, that does make a lot of sense. 
Yeah, and I think if you do um, the most, some of the most flexible people in the world, and some of the most mobile and um, most impressive athletes in the world are people that squat way below parallel with like three times their body weight, and they're like Olympic weightlifters, Chinese Olympic weightlifting team, the most impressive human beings on earth. I don't care whether LeBron's still playing basketball at age fifty or whatever the case is. Like those guys are super mobile. Um, super durable, super strong, and they when they lift, they do it perfect. Like they don't do, they don't add weight if they can't do it well, you know. And I think that a lot of people, if they get hurt, it's because they can't do whatever they're doing in the weight room. They can't do it well. If you do it and you move well, and you know from day one, your goal is to do it per, as as perfect as possible, and that's the priority then you're less likely to get hurt whether it's on the golf course or in the weight room um and like i said we don't have have like this you know um you know we've got kai and brady specifically those two have put on a lot of muscle but because we don't do like a jabroni bodybuilding like you know we don't do curls we don't do tricep extensions we don't do you know, like shoulder lat raises and we don't do anything that you would ever consider like what a bodybuilder would do. And they put on just, they put on plenty of muscle and they have not lost any flexibility because what we're doing, we're doing what humans are supposed to do. Like I said, push squat, you know, all the, all the, all the primal movements that I talked about. Right. So we don't do anything extra that's, you know, gonna, gonna keep them from, moving the way that they did before they came here that's awesome man well dude we really appreciate you fucking joining us for this pod um shout out to utah valley your guys' team is balling hopefully that continues this year and uh it's cool to see like you doing what you're doing and the and the players like you said buying in becoming wanting to work out more wanting to come in more because they're seeing the the difference that you guys are making and you specifically as a coach are making on them and making on their bodies and their athletic ability yeah, and, and like I said, it's all on them. Like I, I give them the tools to succeed, and they happen to be following it, and they'll continue to be good. I don't see why they can't. I mean, in this last tournament, they finished fifth, but every team that they beat, well, most every team in our conference, they they finished in front of. Right, so um, I don't see any reason why they're not going to continue to be successful. Um, so let's let's hope to keep it up. Hell yeah, man. Well, good luck the rest of the year. We really appreciate you joining us, and uh, hopefully all those athletes out there continue to kill it, and uh, you, you're you a big part of that. So congrats, man. We're really proud of you. Appreciate yeah, it. Dude. Congratulations. Thanks for, thanks for coming on and talking about it with us. Anytime. Four. Really want to thank our buddy Cameron Dietz for hopping on this podcast with us. Um, if you guys aren't following him, do it. Follow him on Twitter at CoachCam10, on Instagram at CoachCam10 as well. He posts a lot of great stuff um, as far as workouts and stuff like that. A lot of good information from him there on uh, him growing the golf team and making them a lot stronger and making them a lot better. As you can see, a smaller school ranked seven in the country. So if you guys aren't following us on Twitter, you can follow me at Big Drive Spence, Mitchell at Big Drive Mitch. Until next time, we will talk to you guys later. Peace.